Thank you all very much. Appreciate Chad and Kennard and John and Steve playing for us this morning. And uh, just um, ask you all pray for Robbie and his family as he has uh, decided to step down from us. And uh, we're sad to hear that, but we just pray for him and his family. And uh, we look forward to continuing to have worship every week and uh, with a lot of the same folks. So thank you all very much. Um, we uh, we got a multi-talented person when we got you, Chad. Thank you for stepping up and, and helping us out. Well, um, I know many of y'all uh, told me you enjoyed hearing TJ last week. Uh, we and I got to watch it on my phone, so I know that our live stream works. And I got to watch it on the way back from Shaco Springs last week. Y'all probably seen a few of our folks wearing Shaco Springs attire from our uh, marriage retreat. Melanie and I got to attend that and very, very thankful for Jonathan and Heather and putting that together for us. And we're looking forward to doing that uh, every year now. And uh, very grateful for TJ filling in and for him and Lori being with us as we start this journey together. And a lot of stuff went on this week at the church. And I'm always glad to see that the church doesn't sit empty during the week, that there's a lot of stuff going on here. And we have men's and women's Bible studies, people in and out of here all week. And then also on Thursday night, Choosing Him Ministries had an event here for the ladies that was well attended. And then also uh, our seniors went to uh, on their Apple trip on Friday, and that was well attended as well. So a lot of good things uh, going on. And uh, Mike's already mentioned we're licking our wounds with the Braves out of it. What are we going to do now, right? At night, you know, I got now I have to do some stuff at home instead of sitting in front of the TV. Um, and we had some orange people here in the first service. See a few people that are very excited about. That was a, quite a game, the Alabama-Tennessee game, huh, yesterday. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was exciting. Well, how many of y'all like stories about um, or movies where uh, there's a town that's really bad and evil and somebody has to go in and clean up that town? Do y'all like those kind of movies or stories? I do. Um, uh, and usually there's a, a hero or a heroine who leads the rescue or the reform, and it's never an easy task. It's always very risky to go into this evil town or this evil place and try to straighten it out, try to clean it up, to try to reform it. And there's usually real danger involved. There's usually violence involved in the cleanup, which adds to the, the gripping or the spine-tingling drama of the book or the movie. People get hurt, even die in the process. But in the end, the town gets saved. The implication is is that now everyone will live, what, happily ever after, right? Or at least they have the real chance now that things are cleaned up. Now, I've always been a Clint Eastwood fan myself. I love most all of his movies, especially his westerns. And my favorite, of course, is Pale Rider. Why? Because the preacher is the hero, right? Okay, now some of you people who have not seen that, I would just say it's a great one to watch. But the preacher goes in and cleans up this very corrupt town. And uh, also I like that movie because Pale Rider is a reference to the book of Revelation. And the Pale Rider, one of the four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse, as you know, the Pale Rider of Death. And so a lot of people think in that movie that the preacher is really just a ghost. And maybe that's true, I don't know. But it's still a great movie and I love those kind of movies. But today we're going to look at a character and a story from the Old Testament that has a cleanup theme for sure. But our character today is not just going to have to clean up a town or a city. He's having to clean up a whole nation that has gone really 
to a bad and dark place. And this whole nation, Israel, has developed a blinded mind to God and to the covenant that they originally made with God. And it was a slow and steady digression. As you remember, God says, I'm going to pick a people who are going to reflect who I am, my character, and I want them to reflect to the whole world what a relationship with me is supposed to be like. And Israel was the people that he chose. You know, he pulled them out of, uh, uh, out of Egypt and, and brought them forward. But really, as we read the Old Testament, they didn't do a very good job reflecting God, did they? They got very inwardly focused and says, well, God's always going to protect us. We have this covenant with him, and so we can pretty much do whatever we want because God's always going to protect us no matter what we do. But God had specifically said in that covenant, if you forsake me in that covenant, if you're unfaithful, I'm going to back off and I'm going to let you kind of have these consequences that are certainly going to come. And we see that over and over again in the Old Testament. When you think about it, the ancient nation of Israel really had a bad time with becoming blind-minded, didn't they? Even from the very beginning, Moses leads them out of Egypt with God, certainly God's intervention, and they had clearly seen God's intervention in these plagues, these supernatural plagues. They had actually walked through the Red Sea as God literally parted it for them to walk through, but somehow they started complaining and forgot about all the things that God was capable of. Of doing, And then they build a golden calf and became blind-minded when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. They refused to enter the promised land because of their fear. Oh, there's no way. They're giants. We can't do that. Again, they became blind-minded. And they forgot about the law after we read about in Judges. It says one, one generation after they took over the promised land, it says, Then there became a generation who, who neither knew God or what he had done for Israel. And you go, what? How is it possible that one generation later they neither knew God nor what he had done for Israel? But that was that blind mind that came as we read the Old Testament. And we've been referring to Romans in the New Testament throughout this series. For although they knew God, and this is where the majority of the nation of Israel in our story today was at this part of history. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's where they were. So it had gotten really, really bad. And the hero today is going to be a very young hero, an eight-year-old hero that we're going to read about in our text today. And we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 34. And it's a rather long uh, passage I'm on. It's going to be on the screen, and I'm going to read through it. But again, think about this eight-year-old king takes over a whole nation. How did that happen? So let's read about it. So Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God, seek the God of his father David. And in his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and the idols. And under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke into pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and he purged Judah and Jerusalem. 
in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. And in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Asaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took it to the king I uh, took the book to the king and reported to him. Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah and Achim, son of Shaphan, Abandon, son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's attendant. Aren't y'all glad you don't have to read these names this morning? Because I'm butchering them. I apologize to these families. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that has poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and the king had sent with him, went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokoth, and the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and it will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. He had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it, and the people of Jerusalem did this in, in accordance with the covenant of God and the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. I know that was a lot. Y'all still with me? That was a lot. I'm amazed 
at this eight-year-old king and what he was able to accomplish in his lifetime. So what about you? At eight years old, what were you doing? Was anybody the leader of a nation at eight years old? (laughs) At your eighth birthday? Can you even imagine that? His dad, Ammon, had just been assassinated. His dad had been king for two years, and some people came in and conspired and assassinated his dad. Can you imagine dealing with that as an eight-year-old? And then the people that um, killed him were killed by another group of people who installed Josiah as the king at eight years old. Can you imagine trying to process all that as an eight-year-old? My dad's just been killed, and the bad guys have been killed, but now they want me to be king at eight years old. It's a lot for an eight-year-old. That's a lot to start out life with. And a little further background tells you that not only was his father was very young and gets killed, gets assassinated, but Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh. And he was probably, if not the most wicked king in all of Judah's history. He reigned 55 years and led Judah in all sorts of detestable practice and away from God. So all those things you were hearing about, like Asherah poles and high places, and we might go, what in the world is all that? Well, it was idolatry that had come into the country. And it had come into the country not only because it was around the surrounding areas, but because the king, Manasseh, goes, yeah, let's bring it all in here. We're supposed to reflect God and the one God who is the God of Israel, but we're going to let all this other stuff come in as well. And it, it was a disaster for this country. And so not only was it his grandfather, but his father had led Israel in these detestable things. So Josiah had this family history of both godly and evil leadership. He actually had uh, a grandfather Hezekiah, who, as we read about, says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So he had a a great-grandfather who did the right things and raised a son who did all the wrong things for 55 years, who raised a son for two years who did the wrong things and then was assassinated. You see where all of this was going. So he takes over at eight, and surely at eight he had handlers, right? I mean, they're not letting him make big decisions for the country at eight years old, so he had handlers, he had advisors, but they're telling him the way things should be. And now he is on the throne. And at 16, it says in our text, he began to seek the Lord. Now, it doesn't say 16, but I'm just doing the math from eight, and it says eight years later. So he's at 16 years old, and he starts to really seek the Lord. And notice it says, of the God of his father David, not of his father not of his grandfather, but really there was a lot of great, great, greats in front of David. That would have been his great, great, great. I don't know how many greats, but it would have been his grandfather. And he goes, that was the greatest king of Israel, and that's who I want to be like. I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my, my, great, by my grandfather. Maybe like my great-grandfather, but I certainly don't want to be like my grandfather and my dad that have led Israel astray and got it to this dark point. But it shows you this special character of this young man and then it says at 20 and again i'm doing the math he began to reform worship in all of israel now we can't possibly understand that i don't think in our culture because what we believe when we think about purging of high places i think it's hard for us to grasp how worship and faith and religion and politics were all tied together to the king see we in our culture say hey you don't mix politics and religion right you don't do that You have to have a box for religion, and you have to have a box for politics, and you don't mix the two, right? That's what we say, right? So it's separation of church and state, and we never really understand that. 
We just make it say whatever we want it to say. But here's the deal. That's impossible. That is not ever going to be done. You can't try to take that stuff out of who you are. Um, in our day, in our culture, we say it should be separated. But what we consistently see is that it never happens. It can't happen. It's impossible to separate your values and your um, faith from what you're really doing in life, right? You can't really do it. Your faith or your values or your lack of faith or your lack of values are clearly revealed in leadership and in politics, isn't it? We know who people are. Josiah's faith and values certainly led him to make the reforms. He goes, something is wrong here. My dad's faith and his politics did not line up with what God's word said. There's something wrong and it needs to be reformed. And I'm amazed that a 16-year-old, a 20-year-old can figure this out when he had all this background. So he knew something about the temple. This is supposed to be God's temple. And what his grandfather and father had led. It's like, can you all imagine if today we had all kinds of other religions up here on the stage. And you say, hey, whatever you want to do today. Would that be kind of chaotic in our worship service? If we, if we had some Eastern religions up here. And, uh, and all that kind of stuff going on. It would be just an odd thing going on here. And that's what was happening in the temple of Jerusalem. And so Josiah says, this has got to be changed. And so he went all over the whole country and was tearing down. Did y'all hear that? He was tearing down these things and smashing them into dust and burning it on the bones of the altars of the, the false prophets. Now, y'all, there was some violence going on. This is a kind of a clean version. If you go to Kings, Second Kings, it's not nearly as cleaned up as this one is. I mean, there were some people that died, and he was not messing around. People go, this guy's serious. This 20-year-old king is serious about cleaning up this nation. He's not messing around. They were radical and risky reforms, and they involved destruction and violence. But Josiah was determined in his God-given mindset and vision. And then we read about at age 26, after he spent six years getting rid of all these other things that are going on in the country, he says that he starts to restore the temple Get all that stuff out of the temple. There were all these other things. Get all that out of there. That was never intended to be true. He's got all of that out. And now he says, look, we need to restore this temple and fix it up the way it's supposed to be. And there was a lot of money in the treasury to do that. So as you notice, they start digging out the money to contractors. Say, hey, we need you to come in and get the temple back in order. And all that's going on. And then all of a sudden, during the restoration, the book of the law is found. Did y'all catch that? It's found. It's like, what do you mean it's found? You mean they weren't reading it? No. For literally hundreds of years, generation after generation, the book that, the law of Moses, these are the people who we are, has been in the temple, but nobody knew where it was. It was hidden. It was lost, forgotten. But certainly it was unread and it was unfollowed for years, even generations. And you go, what? How did that happen? How is that possible that you're the people of God and you don't even know where the book is? Do y'all realize Josiah had never heard the word of God from that book until that day? And he hears it for the first time. Now, we can't imagine that happening. But can you imagine if your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, all of a sudden you're talking to them and they go, what's the Bible? Who, who is Jesus? I've never heard of that before. Can you imagine if that happened? And you go, oh, Craig, that's silly. That will never happen. That's what Israel said. That'll never happen. We'll never forsake you, God. We have a covenant with you. We will never forsake that. But what if your kids, your grandkids, 
the future generation said, we've never heard of the Bible. We don't know what the gospel message is. But I'm convinced there are those today who would love to see that happen. There are those today who actively are taking steps to try to erase God's word in our culture. It's happening. Whether you believe it or like it or not, it's really happening. Now, I'm not worried about that. You know why I'm not worried about that? Because in every generation, in every part of history, there have been people who have tried to do that. And that's what we're reading about today that happened thousands of years before us. They tried to erase it, but guess what? God's word was found. And all of a sudden, it's opened up again, and people go, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And so this spurred, this spurred Josiah. You notice he, he was overwhelmed with emotion. He had this response of humility. Now, we don't really understand ripping your clothes. You know, I mean, if somebody rips their clothes, they go, whoa, hey, settle down there, you know. But in, that's an Eastern thing, right? They do that, and they, that, to show that this is a terrible thing that I'm mourning. And so he has this deep humility and deep sorrow, guilt, and even shame. He goes, man, my father and grandfather were a part of this. And now everybody thinks I'm a part of this, but they don't now. They go, wait a minute, he's different. He's different than his dad. He's different than his grandfather. This guy is for real. And it spurred him to lead this amazing reformation and restoration. But here's the deal, y'all. As great as it was, it was short-lived. It only lasted for a season. Did you read the last few verses of our text? It says, Josiah removed all the detestable idols. That's a great thing. From all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Long as he was in leadership. And all that shows you how important leadership is, right? It's so important to have strong, godly leadership. In politics, in the church, in schools, in businesses, that's what we really need if it's going to be the way God intended it to be. But those kings after Josiah, we can read in the rest of 2 Kings, they slipped back into that blinded mind mentality, and so did the whole nation. And sadly, as we read at the end of 2 Kings, the destruction that that prophetess, Huldah, had predicted, it came true, didn't it? In 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and absolutely destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and they carted off anybody that survived 700-plus miles away back to Babylon. And they were in captivity, just like the prophet has said. So you see, as great as Josiah was, he couldn't save them, could he? He couldn't save them. How many of y'all are sick of political ads right now? Well, let me tell you something. And I'm consistently in saying this during all elections. Those people are not going to save you. You know, I don't care if it's Herschel or uh, Raphael Warnock or Brian Kemp. Or Stacey Abrams, all those people are trying to convince you, and we're so stupid, we believe all that, right? We believe those commercials. But those people are not going to save you. And please hear me, you should vote. You absolutely should vote. And you should think about when you vote, who is the person that closely obeys and actually acts in their life what God's word really says? That's who you should try to vote. And I, I, honestly, it's hard. Sometimes it's the lesser of two evils, right? We know that, but you should. But my point is this. Those kings after Josiah, they slipped back. He didn't save them. And when we read God's word, why do we need to know this, Craig? You were being so positive at first. You were talking about these reforms and this 8-year-old, this 16-year-old, this 20-year-old, this 26-year-old who was an amazing leader. And now all of a sudden you tell them, but it didn't last. I mean, that's kind of negative. 
But we need to know this, y'all, because when we read God's words, there are in those words valuable lessons for all of time, for every generation, for every part of history, to be inspired, to be challenged, to bring about reform and revival that's needed, to remind us that we too are very vulnerable to having our minds blinded and thinking, oh, it doesn't matter, oh, it doesn't matter, oh, it doesn't matter. Then all of a sudden we go, what happened to our country? What happened to our family? What happened to our schools? And man, we got some crazy stuff going on in our country, don't we? So I ask this question today. What do we need to tear our robes about? We don't do that, Craig. But what if we did? What would lead us to tear our robes and have just a a heartfelt, what are we doing? What do we need to tear down in our lives, in our country? What do we need to remove from our lives today? What do we need to restore or recommit to today? Where do you and I need revival in our personal lives and in our country? Now, we're quick to tell, I'm quick to tell you where you need to tear down in your life, right? Well, you know, you need to get that straightened up in your life. You need to get that straightened up. And I can tell you what, we sit around and talk, and we'll probably go to lunch and talk about what we need to straighten up in our country and community, won't we? We're good at that, but what about personally? And Josiah took that personally because he said, we're going to make worship the most holy thing to our God. We're going to make that first, and we're going to change that, and then the other things will start changing. So we need to think about that. I'm as, as much as I'm inspired by Josiah and his reforms, he did not save me. He did not save you by those reforms. He did bring about a reform in Israel. But the true saving that Israel needed and all of humanity needed, we know, would come later in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus brought reform and revival, didn't he? I mean, they did not like the reform and revival Jesus was bringing. So much so that what did they do to him? They nailed him to a cross. We will not have that reform and restoration here. You're wrong about that, Jesus. And so they killed him. But we know In his death, through his blood, we are forgiven and we are restored. And not just as a nation, not just as a human race, but as individual humans, as individual children in relationship with God our Father. That's what Jesus was able to bring because that's what we really needed. Yes, we need a strong nation. Yes, we need strong politicians. But more than that, we need saving and restored with God our Father and Creator, right? That's the most important thing. And in Jesus' resurrection, we have the assurance that death cannot eternally separate us from God. No politician can do that for you, but rather gives us eternity in the presence of God. That's what Jesus' resurrection did, and that's what we ultimately need. Now, please, again, hear me. I think it's very important to vote, and I will vote. But we understand that this only can go so far. But we also know how important leadership is in this church, in this community, and in this nation. And I hope God will raise up some people that will transform and make some reforms in this country. I really believe that. But if you don't go out and vote and you don't do anything about it, you're not going to be part of the change, are you? It's important to do something. At 16, Josiah began to seek God. How many of you at 16 were really seeking God? I'm thinking about what an idiot I was at 16. Get my driver's license. It's all I cared about. Driving. Cool. But Josiah at 16 really began to seek God. Because, you know, when you see your dad get assassinated, when you see your whole country come into this dark place, 
it makes you think differently, doesn't it? So I think about that at 16. I know we got some, at least in that 16 age range today in here. Y'all, there's nothing more important you can do at a young age is to start seeking God and what he wants for your life and not to listen to what the world says to you. I'm telling you, TikTok is a lie. The people that are telling you stuff on there, most of that is garbage. I know it's funny and it's cute and all that, and there's probably some helpful stuff, but most of that stuff is leading you away from God. But whatever our age today, I challenge us to begin to seek God wherever we are. It was a process for Josiah, wasn't it? He had to work through some PTSD, if you will, from what happened in his own life and his country. But it not only transformed him personally through the worship, but also it transformed the nation slowly. God wants to transform you and he wants to transform me so that he can use us in his transformational kingdom work that he's doing all over the world. But it starts with you and your worship and how you view God. But today we're going to offer an invitation that maybe there's somebody who needs to take that first step. You're never too young. You're never too old. You can never have too much in your life that God doesn't know about already. The worst things we know, you know what? Y'all don't know all my junk, and I don't know all your junk. But guess what? God does, doesn't he? And he loves us anyway. He died for us while we were still what? Cleaned up and all good? No, he died for us while we were still sinners. And he loves us anyway, and he wants to transform our lives just like he did Josiah. I think he wants to transform our nation, don't y'all? But it starts with us, individuals transforming our lives. So we're going to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never named Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that, to confess him as Lord and start that process. Or maybe you're looking for a church home, and we are certainly not perfect here. Our leaders are not perfect, but you know what? We are committed to God's word, not veering off and trying to look at something else is how we get our wisdom and our truth from. But we stay with God's word is what our, our, our truth is supposed to be always. God's word is the same today, yesterday, and what? Forever. Where? Forever. That's God's word. So we're going to ask you all to stand now. And uh, if you have a decision, I'll be right here to try to walk you through it. Um, if uh, We're going to also have a time of communion right after this song. And so you can start preparing your hearts for that. If you're visiting with us today, maybe it's your first time, we invite you to take communion with us. You don't have to do that, but we invite you, if you're a believer, together with us. You don't have to be a member of our church to do that, but to remember that Jesus really took care of what really separates us from God and from each other, and that's our sin. And he took care of that on that cross and through his resurrection. So let's sing together.